right in D.C. Here's Gail Trotter. This is Gail Trotter coming to you from Washington, D.C. Last week, I interviewed Mary Eberstein. She's a prolific writer, a thought leader, and a woman whom George Will called intimidatingly intelligent. Mary and I talked about why there are so few conservative commencement speakers at U.S. colleges and universities. And we talked about the controversy surrounding this issue. This week, I'm excited to talk with author Jonathan Last. He's a writer at the amazing Weekly Standard magazine, and I interviewed Jonathan last fall for Town Hall, and he's back with me today to talk about his new book. Jonathan, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I'm very excited about your book. Can you tell the name of your new book? It is The Dadly Virtues, Adventures from the Worst Job You'll Ever Love. (laughs) And what was the genesis of this book? Have you uh, written something about this before, or how did you get inspired to tackle this topic of the dadly virtues? Well, uh, uh, there's a two-part answer to this. Um, The first is that I I have purposely never written about my kids before, ever. I I think this is literally true. I may have messed this up because I blog a lot and other things. But I think that if you look through like every word that I've written for the last seven years, I don't think I've ever mentioned my kids. Uh, and I've gone to like such absurd lengths. My colleagues at the Standard laugh at me about this. But, like I wrote an essay about Mr. Rogers for us because I've been watching a lot of Mr. Rogers. And like I, I used this bizarre locution as to why I had been watching Mr. Rogers without acknowledging that it was because I was watching it with my kid. <laughs> You know, I said, I've been using, I've been watching a lot of Mr. Rogers for the usual reasons, and so we moved on from there. So, uh, but, anyway, but I've always wanted to write that. I wanted to do, actually, a book about fatherhood, um, but there were a couple problems with that. Number one, nobody wanted me to write a book about fatherhood, which is the big problem. Uh, but number two is that my kids are so young, they're seven, five, and two, that I'm, I just, I can't see very far over the horizon of fatherhood. I don't know enough about it to write something. Uh, and so last year, I edited this collection of uh, essays about virtue for the Temple to Press called The Seven Deadly Virtues, and it did pretty well. And about a week after it came out, sales were strong enough that the publisher uh, came to me and said, I'd love for you to do a sequel. Just figure out what it should be about. And that's when I realized that here is my backdoor way to do the fatherhood book I'd always wanted to do. Because this way I could bring in all these other writers who are basically my buddies, uh, who are all at different points in the fatherhood ride. You know, I mean, some of them have newborns, some of them have kids in college, some of them have kids just out of college, uh, one of them's a grandfather. And we could do the whole full fatherhood experience, you know, from Lamaze class to grandfatherhood, with everybody doing, you know, one little distinct piece of that journey along the way. Uh, and I would get the fatherhood book that I've always wanted, but I don't have to do, actually write it myself. <laughs> so, so that's how this whole thing came to be. I wanted to ask you to start off our discussion to find out what is your favorite part of being a dad, because in the introductory essay that you write for the book, you compare fatherhood to dentistry and ditch digging. So I'd like to find out what is your favorite part of fatherhood. This is, this is like that scene in Office Space where, the, you know, Michael Bolton is being interviewed. <laughs> he says, oh, you know, what's your favorite Michael Bolton song? He says, oh, God, it's hard to pick just one. Um, <laughs> no, there are, 
I would say fatherhood is, for me, everybody experiences things different. We are all hostage for our own experiences. I, I embrace that. Um, for me, it's not all unicorns. I am not one of these guys who is, like, you know, built to be a dad. Um, and uh, and so a lot of it is a slog, I think. And maybe that will change again. My kids are still really young. I'm, I still have one in diapers. Um, mm, poor you. But there is, yeah, poor me. Um, but but I only have three. God knows. You've, you've had a harder road than me. Um, <laughs> but no diapers anymore. But no diapers anymore. You're past that, yeah. Right. Uh, you know, the, the stuff I love um, tends to be actually when I'm one-on-one with them. Yeah, you know, I find when, when I have, like, all three at once, it's really just controlled chaos. And there's very little, like, there's very little that is sublime about that when you have, like, three kids all running around together. But when I'm one-on-one with them doing something that's just them and I'm able to give them my full attention and share things that, that I love with them that it turns out that they also wind up liking. So like last weekend I took my kid hiking on this hike that I've been going on for 20 years. I mean, I, I literally have done this hike hundreds of times. It's Great Falls. I don't Do you know where Great Falls is? Oh, yes. Beautiful out there. Yeah. So it's, it's this hike along the Billy Go Trail in Great Falls. And I've, I mean, I, I remember doing this when I was 22 years old, had just come to Washington and was just exploring the area. I'd never, you know, literally got myself lost trying to find this place. Um, my sister came to live in Washington with me when she was in college. She and I would go do this hike a couple times a week. When my brother was in college and came to live with me, because I brought my siblings to come live with me when they, for internships mm-hmm. during their college years. Uh, we would do this sort of thing. My wife, when we started dating, we would go and do this. And it was one of those things that was always in the back of my head that, you know, someday I'm going to take my kid on this and it finally happened last weekend and he loved it and not in like the way where he was patronizing me like he was genuinely filled with wonder about all this you know me climbing over these big rocks and because uh, it's a I'd say moderately difficult hike and yeah. to share things like that with them one on one I find to be my favorite yeah, parts of fatherhood yeah and I'm sure I'll have others and I'm sure there are other things that I'm forgetting um, but uh, but that's those those are the high points for me. Well, you talk in your essay about your experiences in college, trying to go to medical school and study for the MCATs and take organic chemistry, which was the end of many a medical ambition, I think, a medical career ambition. But you have this hilarious sentence in your essay where you you had succeeded at organic chemistry. So you, I quote you, I had beaten organic chemistry, so crush, crush parenthood. You can imagine my surprise. <laughs> yeah, How did I you find that that was different. Patients. Well, so so I had thought. I don't know about you. Maybe you're different. Um, so I didn't have a whole. I mean, I'm the oldest of three, but my two siblings are reasonably close to me. I don't really remember a lot of the baby years with them, and I had you know none of my friends. I would say I was. I had kids late in life, and yet I was still the first of all my friends to to wind up with kids. So I had zero experience being around babies. And I imagined that it was the kind of task and skill set that if you were especially smart and especially diligent, that you could really master and do better than everyone else. And so I assumed it would be like organic chemistry or physical chemistry, which were the, the, hard, the two hardest intellectual things I have done to, to this point in my life. Uh, and I just thought, well, you know, so if you really apply yourself and knuckle down, if you're pretty smart, and I'm a reasonably smart guy, uh, and I'm, I know I'm a real hard worker, uh, well, then I'll be able to, to, to get to crush this stuff. This will be fine, you know. <laughs> but I'll just, I'll just work the problem. And, uh, and it turns out, at least again in my experience, that it's not at all like that. I mean, 
if you view children as organic chemistry, then it would mean actually that there are some people who are just never going to be able to do it. You know, some people who could never <laughs> be parents. Um, like me. <laughs> like, yeah, but, but it turns out it's much more like ditch digging. Anybody can pick up a shovel and dig a ditch, right? Uh, it, 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 how smart how smart you are, you can't dig all that much smarter. You can't, you know, how much you persevere, you can't dig all that much harder than the next guy. Uh, and that, it's just, you know, hard, physical, monotonous work. And that, uh, at least for the first year, is really what parenthood, again, in my experience, what it was. Uh, and I was shocked at that, and, and it really sort of like tore at my, my conception of myself, because I thought, well, geez, it doesn't matter how smart I am. It doesn't matter how diligent I think I am. Uh, this is just a slog that I have to slog my way through. And I remember explaining this to my best friend, um, and my wife was you know, in the room at the table with us, and I just thought this was like a perfectly apt metaphor and you know, that it was fine to, to say. And, uh, and so I explained this to my best friend, and he sort of looked at me and was like, he doesn't have kids, and he he said, well, geez, but, I mean, you're glad you did it, right? I said, well, sure, sure. I mean, you know, look, nobody likes going to the dentist, but when you're seven years old and you have all your teeth, you're really happy that you went. And I turned to my wife, and I was like, right, honey? And she had this look of horror. And uh, she said, you know, you've, you've just compared fatherhood to ditch digging and dentistry. And I said, oh, I guess I must be doing this wrong. And, and I said, what, what that is, it, it leaves out... The joy of it, and it's hard to find the joy sometimes. It's, I would say one of my big struggles with it is, you know, finding the joy in the you know moment to moment. Uh, and so I'm I'm efforting that as well. I'm working on that. So I like this quote on the back of the book from one of the author, or actually two of the author's children, who are now 24 and 22. And the quote is. When we left for college, we thought no one could have a more liberating experience. Then we heard the champagne pop before we had closed the door. Apparently, the only thing more liberating than getting rid of your parents is getting rid of your kids. And I wanted to ask you this because I went, my daughter's graduating from high school, and I went to this uh, talk where the head of the school was saying her husband had told her, don't make any empty nest jokes. Like, it offended him. He didn't want any empty nest jokes. So I wanted to ask you, given this quote on the back of the book and the discussion throughout the book, why do dads get upset about empty nest laments from mothers? You're not at that point now, but I think from a lot of the discussion in the book, you might have some insight into this. Yeah, you know, so we have a chapter on this in the book by, uh, by Andy Ferguson, who's my colleague here at The Standard. I think you know Andy. Um, yes. And he's great. And... Uh, you know, so the point Andy makes is, uh, it actually, in a weird way, he, he, I would say in a, in a deeper way, while they popped the champagne corks <laughs> initially when the kids left, uh, like a real melancholy did set in for him. Um, uh, maybe, maybe not his wife, but for him after the kids were out. Uh, and it has to do with the sense that I think the underlying argument being made about empty nesters is that, like, once the kids move out, you're not a parent anymore. But that simply isn't the case. Like, you're, you're a parent until the day you die because your kids always need you. They just need you in different ways, you know, and maybe they're probably less labor-intensive, less time-intensive ways, uh, but not ways that are less real, you know. Uh, I mean, I know, God knows, uh, you know, even when you're 40 years old and you've got kids of your own, you, you just you need your mom or your dad sometimes. Uh, and that that's a real thing. And the weirdness of – I think it's not wrong to – it's not wrong to uh, to lament a little bit about the passing of these years. Um, you know, my, my mother-in-law always tells me, she says, you know, look, the days are long, but the years are short. Mm. 
And I think that's really profound. I mean, there are some like days where you look at your watch with the kids and it's like 9.30 and you're like, oh my God, how is it not 4 o'clock in the afternoon? How is it only 9.30? Uh, but then, you know, the end of the school year comes, right? And you look up and you're like, God, are we finished first grade already? How did first grade go? I mean, we just started first grade yesterday. And so there's a real duality of that, I think. And I think that that's probably what's at like the, the real heart of the idea of empty nesting. There's an essay by Tucker Carlson in there, who's the head of the Daily Caller and a Fox News contributor, and I love the essay because it gives so much insight into who he is, and it kind of makes a lot of sense on uh, many different levels. But I think he has this funny quote in there that caught my attention as a parent, and he says, there may have been travel soccer when I was a kid, but I never heard of it. And then he goes on in the essay to detail all the insanely dangerous, crazy things that he did as a child, and uh, he also talked about things that he's done with his kids currently that, you know, most of the other parents who are around here would be pretty shocked about. Um, what is your perception of that change from when I, I think we're sort of around the same age between our childhood, which my childhood was certainly not as exciting as Tucker Carlson's apparently, but between what it was for us as children and what it is now and how fathers create a little bit more of that risk for children uh, typically than perhaps mothers do? Yeah, well, nobody's childhood was as exciting as Tucker's. I mean, when people talk about free-range parents now, when Tucker, when it came time for Tucker to learn how to drive, his father rented him a car for a month and said, go figure it out. <laughs> and so, like, Tucker, Tucker's in Southern California at the time, and you had to take a, uh, a week of, like, classes at, like, driving school. And Tucker was driving himself to these classes. <laughs> and, like, one of the other students finally, like, on Friday of this week caught on. I was like, wait a minute, you're here studying for the test to get your license, but you drove here? And Tucker was like, yeah, what of it? And, like, that's, that's really free-range parenting. Um, but that, that doesn't exist anymore. And even Tucker, who is, you know, like uh, a scoundrel and a rapscallion in, like, the best senses of the word, uh, even he, like, you know, who does, like, dangerous stuff, like building potato guns with his kids and that sort of thing. Yes. Even he would never do and couldn't really do what, what he did as a kid. Like, the world had just changed. Uh, you know, Joseph Epstein actually makes this, this point in his essay in the back of the book, which is about grandfatherhood, um, that we don't, we don't realize it unless we think about it. But, like, there are, there are fashions in parenthood, and even if you deplore the current fashion, it is very, very difficult to swim against the tide of it. You know, I mean, you, you may, people who were raised in the age of Dr. Spock, uh, whether or not they thought it was bunk, were, were parenting kind of the way Dr. Spock was, as it was his world, and we all just lived in it. Mm. Uh, so, anyway, so that, that, that was Tucker's thing, and, and you can't do that anymore, even if you're Tucker and even if you want to. Uh, and we have, and childhood has changed in so many, we're so much more protective of them that we treat them like they're porcelain and they need to be wrapped in bubble wrap all the time. Yes. Uh, and, you know, and no, God knows. So if you just go on the statistics, right, it is now safer than ever in the history of America to be a child. Violent crime is way down. Abductions are way down. When we do have child abductions now, they are, I forget the exact percentage, but it's something like three out of every four child abductions are really divorce disputes where it is, you know, right. a parent going and taking the kid when they shouldn't have. Which, so it's not, I don't mean to diminish that, but that's not like some guy in a clown costume abducting you from, from the park, you know, and locking you in the basement. It's a different kind of thing. Uh, it's not Stephen King. 
and uh, so even knowing all that, though, uh, and you tell yourself that, it's, it's hard to fight the culture. So I live on a cul-de-sac, on a cul-de-sac, on a cul-de-sac. You know, like basically, like there is no through traffic ever anywhere. There's never anybody who's not supposed to be there where I live because I'm out in Serbia. Uh, and when my kids have been outside playing in the front yard for like 15 minutes by themselves, I will, even though I know they are safe as houses, I'll find myself drawn to the window to look and take a quick inventory just because, you know, even though I know better, even though I know it's ridiculous, uh, it's hard to swim against the culture with that stuff. Uh, in travel, I'm convinced the two, the two most terrifying words in the English language are travel soccer. Um, this is the other big change. Because I think you and I are, you may be a tiny bit older than me, but we're basically the same age. I was born in 74. Um, so we had youth soccer. I played youth soccer. But it was, a, you know, one practice a week, one right. game on Saturdays. It was only one game, and it was to a neighborhood. You know, all the games were in the county. And it was always just to, like, whatever the peewee version of the next town over team was. Um, you, there were never tournaments. You didn't drive two states over to sit in a field for nine hours on a Saturday. Um, and, but it was only in one season a year. And now we start kids incredibly early on sports. We want them to, like, subspecialize on the sport they're doing really by the time they're, like, 11 years old. You know, like, you've got to decide whether you're going to do swimming or soccer or baseball year-round. Right. Get to like 11 or 12 years old, and it strikes me as this like insane arms race among parents who think that like this is going to be what gets their kid into the better college, or you know, or they, which is nuts, right? I mean, your kid yeah. is much better off just spending his time, and you'd be happier if your kid was just spending his time in his room studying. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, my my opinion on this is that I've I've given enough of my life to my kids. I'm not going to give them travel soccer as well. So, uh, well, on that on that note, and do like I would say individual type sports, which do not uh, yoke them to a team, and do not then make me give up my weekends as well. Right, right. Well, on that note, there's an essay in the book by Joe Queenan and his experience of school, and uh, he was so happy when his kids were done with school that he didn't have to do any of the ridiculous things that are related to school, that the non-enjoyable parts of it, you know, being called into the principal's office or, you know, making sure they've done this or that. And it's a, I think it's a pretty countercultural essay because the way that things happen, at least in big cities, is that it seems like there's this intense happiness about school, about having kids in school and the experiences of school. And I think this essay kind of shows the, I don't want to say the dark underbelly, but a, a different perspective of it. What would you say about that? Totally, it's totally the dark. You know, it is, <laughs> I love Joe's essay. Um, and in, in many ways, it's like the things we think but do not say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. School gives this idea of, you know, like going to, it's great rap about going to like being like the parent assistant at school, which he had to do like once a month or something at his kid's school when they were little. And he's like, it's miserable. And you're around a bunch of these kids, most of whom are like spoiled brats. And he's like, you know, I don't like these kids. I can, you know, I can tolerate my kids and tolerate, you know, the friends of my kids whom I happen to like. But, you know, like kids are people just like any other. And most people are idiots and jerks. And I don't want to be around most people. Why would I be around most kids too? And it's so dyspeptic. It's so great. Uh, and true also to a large degree. I am. Uh, you know, I wonder if it's different. So I, I don't know about you. I was a hybrid private school, public school kid. So I did private school, this little Quaker school up in New South Jersey yeah. through sixth grade and then went to public school after that. Um, and the two experiences were really, really different. Um, you know, not 
not for class-based reasons, because I would say the, the class, just sort of socioeconomic background of both the parents of the kids were basically the same for both. Um, but the actual like school environment was very, very different. And uh, Joe is a big booster of the public schools. He has a line in his yeah. essay, of, like, you know, I think you're un-American if you send your kids to private school. Uh, and I you know, I, we send our kids to private schools, so I, maybe we're un-American. Um, but it is different. I won't tell on you. Yeah, I mean, my kids are in this tiny little Montessori school, and the reason we, what really made us want to send them there was that when we went to go look at the school a couple of different times, uh, when you went in the front door, every single kid, like from like pre-K on, if you held the door for them, would say thank you as they passed you by. Wow. And just thought, oh, geez, well, this is a place where you have kids who are like being inculcated with manners and that's like as important as anything else i mean certainly at like the pre-kindergarten and kindergarten level like the most important Absolutely. thing you teach somebody who's four years old is manners like everything else you know who cares about everything else so and i, I don't think you get that at uh, generic public schools and um, certainly not i would say the generic public school i went to do you have a favorite essay in the book i asked you this about your last book of essays and i couldn't pin you down on one but do you have a favorite <laughs> You know, essay in this love, new book. I love all my children equally. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, the, the, the one I love most in this book, I, I've, I've said this to them, I've said this to my writers, so I'm not betraying any secrets at this point, uh, is Rob Long's essay, which almost didn't happen. So the book is oh. all... So this book was a sequel of that other book, uh, except that I had to... Fire, not fire, but I had to disinvite all the people from that other book who weren't fathers. So right. we had, you know, a couple of young writers who didn't have kids. We had a bunch of women who, you know, for obvious reasons couldn't be in it. And uh, and we had Rob Long. And when I called Rob to tell him, hey, I'm doing a sequel to the book, but you can't be in it, I'm really bummed out. I'm sorry. We had this long talk about it uh, because Rob has never been married and has no children. So he really, <laughs> he really doesn't right. fit doesn't fit in. And he emailed me the next day and he said, you know, I was thinking about this and feel free to say no, but I would love to write a chapter talking to kids about about marriage. Like, you know, what I would tell my kids if I had kids about marriage. Uh, and he said, because I feel like I've been Jane Goodall out in the rainforest <laughs> like 30 years. And like, I feel like I don't have a dog in this fight. I have gleaned a lot about men and women and their relationships by watching them. And uh, and I, I really think I have something to say. And Rob, such a, I'd wanted to do a chapter like that anyway, because I really do think marriage is like the single most important decision anybody makes in their life. Uh, and we don't, we don't talk enough about that. And I just trust Rob as a writer, because he's so awesome. I mean, he really, he's an amazing writer. And his essay came out, I don't know about you, it's my favorite in the book, and I would say a lot of people that I've spoken with have come up to me and they've said, they've said you know, that Rob Long essay is unbelievable. I mean, it's both unbelievably funny and like really deeply profound and uh, it's just great. I, did, you, did you like Rob's as well? Yes, and I also really enjoyed P.J. O'Rourke's, who is as, as opposed to that as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, P.J. The opposite uh, yeah. outlook. <laughs> Yeah, no, PJ is is fantastic, and he I love I love the description of PJ, PJ's prior life before because he got married real late in life. So right, yes, sixty seven, and he's got three kids under the age of eighteen. <laughs> yep. Here's my final question for you, Jonathan. 
Why is a dad's experience of parenthood different than a mother's? You know, that's, that's such a great question, um, and it's something I've thought a lot about. And I don't know why, but it seems undeniable. Uh, not only that their experience, their, not only do we experience parenthood differently than, than our wives do, but our kids experience it differently on the receiving end, I think. Uh, you know, and it's not just... It's not just like a social construct as like, you know, like the progressive leftists would say, oh, it's a, gen- it's a gender construct that we make because we lived in a world like Mad Men, but we don't live like that anymore. Right. And my wife and I live, like, you know, we're both deeply conservative. We live like the most progressive egalitarian life you could possibly imagine. You know, we're practically <laughs> Scandinavian in the way we split like work and child care. And really, it's kind of ridiculous where our friends think of us as communists in that way. <laughs> And yet, like, I see, and we both actually approach the kids in very much the same way, and we, we do that consciously. So there's always, like, a united front. It's never, you know, we never want the kids to think, oh, you get a different answer from, you know, from one of them than you do from the other. And yet I see that our kids react different, like, really differently to us uh, just because of the fact of us, the fact that, you know, one of us is the mom and one of us is the dad. And, like, it's a real thing. Um, and I, it's, you know, on the one hand, you think, oh, it's a mystery. But on the other hand, well, it's no mystery because men and women are different. <laughs> you know, like the whole thing is, and I think in a weird way, it's like countercultural to even say that anymore, which is insane. Yes, it is. Obvious thing in the world. Uh, but it's, I think it can't, it can't be stated enough. It can't, uh, in, in the same way that anyone, all you have to do is like see two children, you know, one of the same age, one of who's a boy and one of who's a girl. They're just different. They act differently. The boys, you know, we raise, again, because we're commies, you know, like we have like, we're very like, you know, we don't, we don't do guns. We don't do, you know, video games and all that stuff in the house. But, you know, like my, my son, when he was like five years old, everything he could find was a sword or, or a gun. You know, yes. he wasn't getting, it was just because boys do that. It's not, you know, like, it's just what boys do. Girls don't. Here, that way. Yep. So. So yeah, so I think the the reason we experience it is because we are we are different and our kids experience it differently and it's going to be like that no matter what you do. There's no amount of monkeying with the formula that you can do to change it. Uh and that's why I sort of get sad when I read, you know, when you read like a lot of like leftist parenting, it's you know, it's like the rending of garments about, you know, trying to make, you know, teach the right lessons and the right social justice stuff and the right ideas about gender equality, but we are different. Boys and girls are different. Men and women are different. Mothers and fathers are different. And uh, I think we ought to embrace that rather than try to like airbrush it out of existence. Jonathan, thank you so much for this discussion of your amazing book. I hope everyone picks it up. We have Father's Day coming up soon, but it doesn't even have to be Father's Day to enjoy this book. I think anybody who is a human can appreciate the humor of this book and the deep insights, too. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Joe, my producer, you're a father, wanted to hear what you thought of this interview and ask you what your favorite part of fatherhood is. Well, I can tell you what I, uh, my favorite part of fatherhood is uh, just being with my son. It's just spending time with my son close together. Um, I spend a lot of time, you know, I'm divorced, and uh, I, I get to see my son 
uh, every couple of weeks. Well, what kind of fatherhood is that? It's the best I can do. That's what kind it is. So yeah. we spend a lot of time together, even in the car. When he comes to visit me, he's with me, and we're together most all of the time. And uh, we get to talk a lot. We, we've actually gotten very, very close by being in that car so, so much, so often. And we have good conversations. Sometimes they're silly conversations. But he gets to see Dad talking to him like he was a regular guy. Even though, and I think I told you this, if, if I'm getting too long-winded, let me know. I am not his buddy. Right. Very important distinction. Yes. No, I told him a long time ago that... You may see Dad goofing off because you know I'm a, I'm kind of a goof off. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't admit that to anyone. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, and and Joe, of course, he picks it up, and in the beginning, he would try to be just as goofy as Dad. Well, he wasn't old enough to have a, a the sense of humor that I would laugh at, you know. Uh, so we got into this. Well, geez, Dad, why are you different? What's going on? And uh, I said, Look, I'm your dad. I'm not your buddy. We're going to become buddies over time. I said, I think you'll look back at this. And you'll remember that I told you this, and I'm, I'm just, I'm your dad. I have things that I have to do with you and to you right. if you misbehave. Right, yeah. right. So don't get mad at your buddy and don't think your buddy's going to say, hey, that's cool, because it's not. So my favorite part about fatherhood is, is, is really just spending time with the guys. Uh, I have an older one. I, I was just talking about Joey there. My older one's 20, 22 now, and we don't spend much time together at all. But the, the younger guy, 15, Joey, it's just spending time. I can't tell you how I've looked over, and it sounds corny as can be. When I sit down and I see my son over there, I just get a really, he won't listen to this. I get this really warm feeling in my heart going, you know, that's my kid over there. He's doing all right. That's a beautiful thing, and I'm so glad that we were able to talk about this in anticipation of Father's Day that's coming up not too long from now. And I would really recommend to all my listeners to be there to spend that time with your children, with your sons, and for all the fathers in your life, consider buying this book because it's outrageously funny and it also has some really deep insights as much as you can expect a bunch of writers talking about fatherhood um, from a non-emotional perspective but I hope that you have enjoyed this discussion with Jonathan Last and Joe my producer and until next week you can like me on Facebook you can follow me on Twitter you can check out my website gailtrotter.com This is Gail Trotter, right in D.C.'s.